thank you for joining us today on Hashtag No Limits. I'm your host, Shelly Kino. Hashtag No Limits is about people that society puts limits on, but who have busted through those limits. Ophelia said in Hamlet, we know what we are, but not who we will be. I believe this to be true 100% and that there is no better example than the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. The caterpillar literally dissolves and its cells reform into a butterfly. As the butterfly emerges from the cocoon, it has to struggle in order for its wings to be strong enough to fly. Obviously, this is no easy process, but neither is breaking through the limits that society has placed upon a person. But just like the caterpillar, when we believe in ourselves, we can accomplish more than others might think. And if we have a support system around us to encourage us and to facilitate that growth, even better. And that brings me to my guest today, my friend, Brianne. She is a fellow master IEP coach, mom, and owner of not one, not two, but three successful businesses. So welcome, Brianne, and thank you for joining me today on Hashtag No Limits. And please tell us more about yourself and your family. Well, thank you, Shelly, for having me on. It is such a great pleasure to be here. Like she said, I'm a fellow master IEP coach. I am a single mom to two boys. Um, they are 10. No, I'm sorry, 11 and 10. So <laughs> uh -oh, <December> birthday. <laughs> yep, got a birthday coming and one just turned 10. Um, they're both special needs boys. One is actually twice exceptional. And the other one, he's on the spectrum and has ADHD. So um, I'm just a mother who do so many different things. As you mentioned, I have three different types of businesses, really like to focus on mental health. And I love sports. And then Awesome Achievers, which is my main buff of my finances. So that's pretty much who I am. So you mentioned um, twice exceptional. So for anyone who is watching who doesn't understand what that means, would you explain that, please? Yes. Yeah, so twice exceptional, basically what that is, your child has a disability, but that also suppresses, you know, the average status quo in certain areas. For instance, my son, Billy, he's 11. He is dyslexic, but he's also gifted in the area of math. And he scored really, really high when they were testing him for special education. Um, and they found out, I was like, oh my gosh, he is really killing this math area. And I literally cried because I'm like, I knew I was with <laughs> you guys to see it. So with him, he doesn't necessarily need all the services and everything that comes with an IEP. So he has a 504 plan. And he's able to utilize all of those same accommodations, like small group, read aloud, things like this while he's doing gifted. So while he's exceeding above level in math, he still gets those accommodations because it meets him where he at. So um, that's basically what that means. All right. So you just brought up a 504. And oftentimes people get confused um, what the what if there is any difference, <clears throat> excuse me, between a 504 and an IEP? And I'm, and I'm trying to remember, I think it was my Friday with Fran where I really differentiated the two. So can you explain a little bit about the differences between the two? Yeah, so I like to sum everything up as easy as possible, especially for parents. A 504, accommodations. That's it. Your child can have a 504 if they had like severe asthma. And what that would look like is not putting your child under the air vent inside of the room because it messes with their hearing. So now, you know, because of that, your child might need to sit closer to the teacher in order to really hear. It can look like, you know, if your child had visual issues, not necessarily to the point where they needed therapy, but they just needed some accommodations to get them through. Accommodations, that's it. IEP, you get accommodation and services. So what is a service you might ask? It basically looks like, let's say for instance, your child had a speech impediment. And so a service would be speech therapy services within the, the building, or maybe they needed more direct instruction in reading. That would look like a service where they get pulled out of the classroom to get more direct help. So IEP, accommodation and services, 504, 
accommodations. Easy peasy. Yep, yep. That's a very nice way to do it. And, and my my definition is pretty similar. Uh, yeah, 504, we just do accommodations. IEP, you get that specially designed instruction, which is what you talked about, the, the speech therapy, the related services, those sorts of things. So you said that your um, one child has autism. Did you, like, how old was he when you found out that he was autistic? Well, let's say I knew when he was like two, okay? Mm -hmm. um, because I have a brother who's on the spectrum and my brother, he is 14 years old now. So it was about 16, I think I was about 16. He was like about one or two. And we knew I was seeing a lot of things and I was actually just starting to learn about it in high school. So I was starting hearing about these things. And so when I had my son, you know, I'm looking, I'm like, something's not right. I think he has this, but we didn't get a formal diagnosis until right three days before his fifth birthday. Okay. <laughs> Cause we started out with speech. That's all they saw at the time with speech. Then they saw ADHD and I'm like, there's more than just ADHD here. There's so much more going on. Right. And so what kind of limits did that put upon you or you as a single mom, did you find that you had limits placed on you? Not necessarily, you know, physical limits, but that like in people's thinking or in people's actions about how to, to um, work with you or work with your son. Um, yeah, I actually had like a lot of limits from my own family just because they didn't understand. It was more of, oh, he just bad. You need to discipline him more. You need to whoop him more. You're babying him. You coddling him. And it was hard because not only does, did Lewis, you know, younger have autism, but he was nonverbal. So he couldn't even talk so he was having these behaviors it stopped me from going out in public um it put limits in that area which put limits on my older son who as he got older it started affecting him emotionally he started like oh it's only about lewis we don't get to do things it's not fair and i had to take a step back and i said well i need to break these parameters because I cannot live my life like this and my kids cannot live their life like this because it's not, it's not fair. Right. So what sort of things did you do then to bust through those parameters? Well, the very first thing I did was I decided I'm going to go back to school. <laughs> and so I went back to school and basically what I did, I dove head first into special education law. Like that was the first thing. And what I learned, the first thing that stuck out to me was parental involvement. So I was like, well, how do I get involved? And I started learning about, you know, the PTO, the PTA, the advisory boards and getting all of that knowledge and information. And then I learned about applied behavior analysis. So I took like little parenting training classes because my son would get it. And then I was like, oh. I can do this, right? And so I decided that's what I wanted to be and that's what I became because I wanted to make sure after my son did therapy and therapy went home, I wanted him to behave the same way that he did with his therapist. I wanted him to do it with me. I wanted him to do it with his dad when he was his dad's house. I wanted him to do it with grandma. I wanted him to do it at church. I wanted these same good behaviors and I'm gonna use my quotations there to be done all over, not just when he's with his therapist for two hours. Right. And that's an excellent point because a lot of times I think families don't realize that they're putting that limit on their child because they think, oh, it's all the therapist's job mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily need to do anything outside of therapy time. The kid's just automatically going to carry over the skills that they've learned in therapy. And so, again, you know, like a lot of limits that are placed, they're not a necessarily cognitive limit. It's just a, a what, what's known as a cognitive bias. Like you just don't even really think about it. And it just is how you think for whatever reason. And until you acknowledge that you're thinking a certain way, you're not going to realize that you need to change and, you know, do other things. So that's awesome that you realized that and you started doing that at a, at a young age for your son.
So when did you start Awesome? And I'm going to switch our banner here. I'm going to take the banner off because I want everybody to see um, when you put your name up there, how you spell awesome. So it's the autistic A-U, not the A-W-E for awesome. So I just, that's one of the coolest things I've seen. And I just <laughs> wanted everybody else to see that too. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I would say the idea came around 2014, but I actually didn't put anything into place really um, until 2017 when I took the grand leap of faith and what publics like to recall it, you retire once you invest it. So I, I retired from working there seven years because I had worked my way into a position, but my son behaviors were becoming worse and I was missing a lot of work and I was the only one in my position. So I was like, I cannot, my, my son is first. Um, my kids are first. His well-being means the most thing, most important thing to me, which is the reason why I moved to Florida is because they had services at the time Georgia just could not compete with. And so once I took that leap of faith and started it, I was like, this is the best thing I could have ever done. Um, I worked a lot with just supporting my son and my brother. And then um, I took a leap of faith and um, somebody reached out to me and they was just telling me about, you know, the issues they was having with the school and their child's learning. And I'm just listening. I'm like, oh my God, this child sounds kind of like my child. I was like, I'll go to the IEP with you. So I was like, well, I'm about to put these, this knowledge and information that I have acquired, you know, over the years to use. And I supported my first family and got that family in the IEP and just found out what was going on with this child. And I was like, wow, somebody paid me and I can <laughs> actually really stand and do this. And so it just went head on from there. And so what led you to take the um, master IEP coach course? Okay, so I'm glad you brought that up because I, I really love telling this story. <laughs> so when I was in Florida, um, I worked with Pam Lindemann, the IEP advocate. She is really well known. She's really big in Florida. So I took her extensive course and I learned a lot and I was given the opportunity to be like an independent contractor with her in everything. And so I really liked her approach it was it was it worked for in the area that I was in but when hurricane I think it was Irma came and I had to relocate back to Georgia and I'm like well I know there's a lot of people in my district who struggle and I know this county I went to school in this county so they really are not too acceptable to change so I can't go in their gun po right so I seen Catherine's, um, it was like an ad come through on my Facebook, right? And I reached out and it was like, oh, it costs this amount of money. I'm like, I can't afford that right now. I'm like, do you offer a payment plan? And at the moment, she did not. So I was like, okay. She was like, but hopefully soon. It came around again and I reached out and she said, yes, I do. And I was like, right on. <laughs> I can do that. And, you know, I paid my monthly amount through the entire course. And what I loved about it was her collaborative approach. What stuck out to me the most was she wasn't just a person who was teaching this because she used to be a special ed teacher. She's not only was a special ed teacher, she started out as a special needs sibling, which is me as well, and a special needs single mom. So it hit all realms for me and I was like yep I'm here and I'm so thankful for it. and I, I say it so many times over Catherine is the goat okay and she's <laughs> real in person you know a lot of times when you work with people offline they're so different she is who she is online and offline and so because we just meshed in all four of those areas for me it was it was the perfect match and I'm like I'm a I'm a master IEP coach for life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. Her her approach to things and just her out of the box thinking um, has expanded my ability to think out of the box. Um, she did teach special education for a few years and I taught special education 
for longer than what she did. So I, without realizing it, had gotten some incorrect thinking going on as far as what was supposed to happen when and how things were supposed to happen. And so when I started with the program, I thought, oh, I, I just, I really need the business side of things. I don't need the, the, the IEP stuff. I got that. And I, she's just blown me away with, you know, all the knowledge that she has continues to have. Um, so we, we weren't originally going to plug the master IEP coach program, but, but, we, <laughs> but we are. <laughs> um, so definitely, you know, if you want to reach out to Brienne or myself, um, we would definitely be happy to connect you with the master IEP coach program. Um, because it is, if you have somebody in your life that has an IEP or a 504 or needs to have one of those things, the more knowledge you can have for yourself, the better advocate you can be. And, you know, if, if you want to join that program, that's fabulous. If you just want somebody to come alongside you and help you, um, you know, Brienne, myself, and then there's a whole list of other master IEP coaches around the country. And many of us have sort of specialties um, you know, whether that's a certain diagnosis or um, like I, I really, I think I'll work with any diagnosis because of having been that special ed teacher. I've really seen a gamut of um, different abilities, but like data collecting, I really enjoy digging through all that data and, and getting down to the nitty gritty of stuff and behaviors. You know, those would be, I, I love to investigate, I guess. So that's the data collection piece and the behaviors that go together because it's got an investigative piece to them. Um, so Brian, what would be the things that you would say are kind of where you really are I would definitely say my niche would be um, dealing with children who are on the spectrum have ADHD and have dyslexia. And all of those come with certain type of behaviors. So as a behavior analyst, I'm not certified, but um, I'm, I'm able to understand that. And like you said, get come up with that creative way to approach a situation. And so that's my niche. And those are, those are my ideal clients. This typically all of my clients work in that room area. Um, okay. I'm picking, I'm tend to pick up more, um, foster families okay. and deaf or hard of hearing. So I actually had my first with that and it went well, it went really, really well. So I think even when you have a master IEP coach or an advocate, take the time to be collaborative and listen to what the school could potentially offer you. Um, cause sometimes you know, we're so big on going in and say the school is wrong, 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 wrong. And we never give them the credit where credit is due. And I'll say from that experience, I was very happy with um, how they handled it and how they really listened to us. So it, it does matter. It really does matter. It does. Absolutely. That's a great point. So tell us a little bit. So you're one of your businesses is called Awesome Achievers. So is that the business where you really focus on working with families and school districts and, and the special education process? Yes. So that is definitely the one. And um, I would guess, I'm, I don't know the right word here, but I guess the under link of that is I have Awesome Achievers Academy. And that was basically birth during the, the start of the coronavirus. It definitely had been an idea um, sitting there, been working on things in the background and it just kind of got pushed forward when we had to go into this virtual school. And so it's still mainly um, working with children who do have an IEP or 504 plan. So what do you do with them at the academy? What's How, does, how is that different than just the, what you're doing with awesome so how is that different? That looks like me basically being their teacher. Um, and so I have a lot of students who actually come to my home. So it's actually within a space within my home. And I work with them throughout, you know, the time they're in school. I have a few that are actually in my district. Uh-oh, she froze. We'll give her just a second or two to hopefully unfreeze. 
So while we're waiting, oh, I heard something. <laughs> Are we still frozen? <laughs> uh, you're frozen, but I can hear you now. I couldn't hear you a second ago. There we go. I think you're back. I see some movement. All right, I'm back. Okay. All right. So basically what I was saying was I, I actually work with the with the child. So um if in their IEP they say they're supposed to have a para, um I'm I'm right there with them reading, you know, the question, reading the answer, making sure they understand, just keeping them on track. Um I facilitate um, all of the children's learning, making sure, you know, they're logging into class, making sure they're following through. But what I did, took it upon myself, is creating them individual plans. So it's virtual learning. And a lot of times the school don't know how to really incorporate their IEP into a digital learning plan. So what I did was I took their IEP. I took how our day is set up and I went and incorporate when they need to take a break. You know, but I also, even though it's planned to take a break, sometimes kids need a break prior to the planned break because they might get overwhelmed. It's technology. A lot of my kiddos, their parents don't give them that much access to technology because they stem on it. So they're just, oh, I got it. And they're not focused. They're logging into other things. And so I'm making sure they're on track and giving them the breaks where they need breaks doing multi-sensory type instruction because I have kids who are dyslexic and that's what they need to really understand and learn and so just make it a fun and very interactive so they still getting that social piece because they're interacting with other kids they're still getting some full live instruction um, a lot of times I have a kiddo who never understands what the teacher is talking about but he gets it when I sit there and I explain to him what is going on that's awesome so there's a lot of limits that you're breaking by doing this then yes um that's a that's amazing so then what's your third business all right so my third my third business um i have a sports club it is called hurricane elites and i i coach track but um we also do football and basketball and i do speed agility training um and so i actually had the great pleasure um, about a season and a half ago, maybe it was, and I had nine kids who was on the spectrum that played football. And so it was really great. Some of them, it was their first time and it was just so amazing. And the team actually went to state championships. We, would, we didn't win, but it was amazing to see that. Um, and I'm just so happy at um, what's to come next. We have a couple of kids who are, you know, ADHD on the spectrum and they're exceeding in these sports. And all it takes is really building a rapport with the child, that personal relationship, understanding how they receive the instruction, receive what you're telling them, and knowing that the behavior that they are showing, that male adaptive behavior, they're trying to communicate something. They just don't know how. So I like to be able to use that ABA technique that I have and apply it within that setting as well. That's an amazing thing about ABA that I have found is it is truly, and you can use it in so many different areas. Mm -hmm. um, I am not a, a, a certified ABA therapist, but I had students who went through ABA programs and as the classroom teacher, we often implemented that program in our classroom. So um, I was taught how to do it through people who are certified, <laughs> but I didn't myself either get that certification. But using that, I mean, a lot of the, the base principles of, you know, short, simple, tell them what you want to do directions, instead of, you know, don't do, don't do, don't do. Mm -hmm. um, and, and breaking things down into their individual steps and having them do step by step instead of just fill out this paper yep. and then let them go. Um, so how have you found it useful with the sports? How did that transfer over? Oh, it's just like, you know, any type of training technique that I'm about to do, even with the exercises, um, every child learns different. So for some kids, I could just 
tell them, give them the direction, the step on how to do it, and they get it. Some kiddos, I need to actually model it for them. And then they got it. Some kids need both. So I'm able to do that. And then also I like to use first then because a lot of times, you know, kids, they have their favorite things they want to do in track and field like, oh, I really want a long jump today. So they're not too much focusing on doing the stretches correctly, doing those exercises, those speed exercises, because they really just want to go jump in the sand. Right. Because it's a sensory thing. So right. men being able to understand that and like, okay, first, if you do this correctly, because a lot of times what we fail is we give a child, um, first you do this, then you do this, but there's no real criterion to it. And so they're doing it just to complete it. Mm-hmm. So I give a criterion to it. First, I need you to do these exercise to the best of your ability, which I already assess and know what the best of your ability is prior to any of this coming about, and then we can go jump in the sand. You can jump in it however you want mm-hmm. because that's that's your reward at this point. And so being able to utilize those, what we in ABA call pre-MEC principle, first then statements, um, it shows improvement. Being able to, you know what, you're upset right now, removing the child from the situation, not telling the child, oh, get off, you know what, come here. Let's remove you. I don't know what's going on right now. I'm going to give you a minute to cool off and then we can talk about it. So that way it doesn't impede the other kids opportunity to get the exercise or to get the drill or to do whatever it is that we're working on. And then once that happens, they come to me and they actually able to communicate like what is going on and then explaining this to the parents so the parents know because now I actually been working with the kid for three years and his behaviors, his attitude have improved so much that, you know, mom was able to articulate and communicate to his football coach in the middle school, to his football coach at the recreational league. You know, this is how he actually learns and understands, you know, when he's doing this, it's not because of what you think it is. He's something is actually wrong and him working on communicating as well. So it just has, I've seen it to work wonders with kids who are, have, you know, no disability at all. It's a principle that can be applied to human behavior, period. Yes. Yes. And that's awesome. That, that, that just excites me so much to hear that all these other limits are being broken, not just in your program, but that they are using what they're learning in your program and breaking those limits because they might've gotten to that middle school football team and the coach saw a few behaviors and said, nope, you can't, you can't hack it. You can't, you gotta go, you're off the team. Um, And so now this gentleman has opportunities, not just in middle school teams, but in recreational teams. And uh, so, so that's awesome. So, so thank you and congratulations for that. that's amazing, amazing stuff. So what else is going on with you? What else can you share with the viewers about limits that either your sons are breaking through or that you're breaking through? You know, I, I would um, definitely talk about a little bit about remote learning, um, especially for those who have children that have IEPs. And, you know, right now, a lot of districts I know here in here in the state of Georgia, they're writing up what they call um, distant learning plans. So basically what they're trying to do is mimic the IEP, but in the format um, that is really just looks like a Microsoft um, document, but they're trying to take those goals and put them with how we're going to meet these goals in this virtual setting. And so what I've done and what I've shared with a lot of the families that I support is how they need to track the data. So let's help the teacher because some of these teachers are having to teach the kids in the classroom and online. So mm-hmm. how can we help? Whether it's a little bit of help, trust me, they appreciate it. You know, let's give each other grace. And so um, I created a, a parent data tracking sheet. Um, I did one specifically, you know, for behaviors and then I did one specifically for those academic goals. And you don't have to track 
You don't have to do it every day. If you can get to it twice a week, trust me, the teacher appreciate it. And it's it provides reinforcement for the child too to really try their best. So on the day that they're working on that goal, they have something that they're working towards, whether it's a sneaker bar, whether it's 10 minutes on their favorite game, you know, they're going to try to do their best. And so I have, I've done that to just try to help break the limits. And I'm seeing the child actually put forth the effort that is not just to complete the task. Right. Because a lot of times when I used to look at my son's IEP goals, I felt like he wasn't making any progress. And I'm like, well, what's the criterion to this? Are you just saying, oh, you know, to get it done? Because he'll do it to get it done. He don't care if it's right, wrong. He ain't read the color, no nothing. He'll just do it. But then when I started saying, you know what, Louis, when your teacher give you this assessment, you know, I started small. He was making like 20s. You can make a 40. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I got this little, little thing for you. And then he started saying, well, can I get this? And I started saying, well, can you give me a 70? And then I got 70s. And then I got 80s. And then we went even bigger. He said, mom, I want to get honor roll. I want to get an award. And so we did that. And so he helped me come up with strategies of how we're going to get there and set little goals, little mm -hmm. goals, little goals. And then that transpired to dad's house. Little goals, little goals, little goals. And now we have goals set for literally every single thing. He's actually in the background saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. Right. <laughs> Hi, you guys. Is he one of the two people in? We're actually broadcasting to everyone. So you just said <laughs> hi to everybody on the internet that watches this. Yes. So, um, but that's pretty much what I like to have been like helping parents with to understand how to track data in an easy way and be able to share it with the team. Because they're like, some of them are in a world win. And we truly want to see the children progress during this time. Not all kids are going to progress. Some will regress. But if we're able to show that data that, you know what, y'all have for so many years said my child did not need a pair. I put him in front of this computer. He's not doing anything. If I print off all the work and sit it here, he's, he's not... He's not doing nothing. But if I sit right here, just sit, mm -hmm. he's doing something. Now he's like, oh, okay. Now he's asking a question where I can't read it. Can you read it to me? That what that that's the behavior. That what was going on. That's why he was falling out of his chair, being the class clown, because right. he needed help reading. Right. The passage or the question or the answer. He just needed help reading. And so being able to track that so you can take it to the school, because if indeed we do go back to a brick and mortar building, you can say, hey, for two years, you said my child didn't need it, even though all the data showed that he did. Now, here's some more data that showed when I sat next to him, he made the 80. He made the 90. But when I didn't sit next to him, he made the 60, he made the 40. So I want parents to be able to be comfortable in that, in that right. data taking, because we need it, the school need it, and we have to be collaborative during this time. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, for all these years that we've been in brick and mortar buildings, the parents have taken <clears throat> the teacher's word on the data collected and how it was collected and that it was valid. And now with remote learning, the teachers need to take the parents' words just as much as they were expecting the parents to take their words all these years. Um, and, you know, and it's, it, the more data you have, the better off you, you're going to be as, as being able to present your case. And it doesn't always have to be paper pencil data. No. You know, if you can take videos of what's happening or you can take still pictures of what's happening um, that counts as data as well um, you know the work that they've accomplished just make sure that you've written down you know this accommodation and this accommodation was given 
you know, if, if it's extra time, just write down, you know, it took them 25 minutes to complete this, or it took them 10 minutes to complete this, you know, and that's a good way to determine is extra time really needed or is extra time only needed in certain classes or certain types of work. Um, and so there's so much that data can tell you. And I want to encourage parents not to be scared of taking data because I totally agree with Brian that any data that you have, I've read so many um, reports this year from last year's remote learning of we couldn't take data. We couldn't take data because of remote learning. And so we don't know if they've made progress or if they've stagnated or if they've regressed on these goals. But if we can get the parents to, to help out with that, then we don't, we can know if we're stagnating, progressing or regressing. So yeah, a, I, I definitely agree. And if the school says they cannot take data, then what programs that you can utilize that does it for you? Like iReady, maybe Moby Max, you know, <laughs> it does the data for you. All you have to do is print it out. Right. Yeah. So, Lyrics to learn. Yeah. There's, there's tons. And a lot of those things, in the spring were free. Um, I don't, I need to go back and I actually had compiled a whole list of different sources like that. And I need to go back in and see, you know, what the cost is. Um, and really for multiple licenses for a school, it, uh, most of that stuff wasn't terribly expensive, you know, and I would think that, that that would be an excellent way to approach it with the school is, you know, you're not able to have the data um, because you're not in, person anymore, but you can put your kid, put the students on this and it'll track it for you. Um, Lyrics to Learn is one for reading. Moby Max is more math, but it does have reading to it. Um, there's IXL. Um, I don't know what else, I, what iReady. Um, I mean, it's, it's being able to access the internet to do these kinds of things. So if you can't access the internet, that creates a limit that needs to be broken but or figured out how to, to, to manage without it. Um, but yeah, there are definitely lots of things available um, to help out. So is there anything else I want to make sure that, that, you know, I think we've covered what I told you we were going to cover. So I just want to make sure that, you know, that we're getting everything um, that you wanted to talk about today. I mean, pretty much that's, that's all I got and to just stay encouraged. And if you are not in a support group, find you one um, because we all need support. We all need someone to lean in on and to just hear us because sometimes we just need to vent and we don't have anyone. Um, this is definitely has been a trying time for every single body and no one has all the answers. But some of us do have answers. And so if you ever have a question or just need encouragement, my my ears are always open. Um, you can definitely um, find me on my Facebook page, Brianne Robinson, comma, Awesome Achievers. Um, I'm on Instagrams at Awesome Achievers as well as, nope, just those two, Facebook and Instagram. Okay, not on LinkedIn? Say it again? You're not on LinkedIn? Oh, yes, I am. I am on LinkedIn. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. I am on LinkedIn. You can find me there as well. Um, do you have a website? Do I have the website? Yes, I have a website. <laughs> www.awesome, that's A-U-E-S-O-M-E, achievers.com. You can find all of my information there. And I just want all of my dyslexia family to know it is Dyslexia Awareness Week. So I'm coming oh, nice. to education. So if you don't follow me, follow me because I'm gonna have some good stuff um, coming out later on this evening. So is there speaking of dyslexia, and if you have time to hang out, we've we've still got about 20 minutes of, of time that we can use. Um, how do students go about being diagnosed with dyslexia specifically in the schools? Because here in Illinois, they don't like to use the word dyslexia. They just want to use the specific learning disability umbrella and they don't want to go specifically to dysgraphia or dyslexia. So what advice do you have for people trying to get and what is the um, benefit of having that specifically on the IEP? So that's typically like 
the same thing here. They like to use specific learning disability and mainly because of course, like the school cannot give a diagnosis. So that's what they will use. But if you want that medical terminology, definitely get a private eval so they can confirm that it is dyslexia. And I say, have it written within the IEP. Somewhere in there, it needs to specifically state that this child has dyslexia. If your private eval states what type of dyslexia, that is perfect too, because what that is going to show any educator who have experience or any school psychologist who truly understand what dyslexia is, you'll be able to advocate for certain types of programs for your child to utilize within the school system. And if the school don't got it, guess what? They're either going to have to get it or pay for your child to go somewhere else because it's really important. Um, like I said, that's just the eligibility criteria, specific learning disability and what? Written expression in what? Math in what? Reading. That's what it's going to say, but you need to have it written in there that says dyslexia so you can say, you know what? I know this district used Wilson reading. My child needs Wilson reading. That means my child needs direct instruction. And then you can go and say, well, what do you what do you guys really want that to look like? So if you want a formal diagnosis, you definitely need to go to a private evaluator. But um, even if you just get it from the school specific learning disability, have them spell it out. Okay, so that means dyslexia, or that means, okay, I my child actually qualify for this type of program. Um, so you got to get a little tricky in how you throw the words in there, and I'm just being honest, um, mm -hmm. because a lot of times your child will not truly get what they need, especially if you have an educator who just don't truly understand and comprehend what dyslexia is, what type of dyslexia that your child has, you know, because a lot of times they'll hit you with the, oh, okay, your child don't know how to read. Let's go back to the basics reading. Let's see if they can read a picture. Well, if you got a child who don't even understand that this picture of a cat is a cat, how is how is he going to learn the basics of reading? So that's a specific type of dyslexia that you need to truly understand for your child. So it's very um, imperative that you start learning what your child dyslexia is because you're going to be your biggest child advocate. There have always been so much stigma behind dyslexia, so mm -hmm. much misunderstanding behind dyslexia, only thinking that it's phonological dyslexia, which is the most common but there's other types that a lot of educators tend to look over. So your child don't truly get serviced in the right way. Yes. And um, something that, that uh, this is off topic to a degree, um, but yeah, the, the dyslexia definitely is, is so many people have the wrong impression mm -hmm. about what it is. Um, and, and they do just want to say, Oh, it's just a reading disability. Um, and so they will, just want to, like you said, go back to the basics. Um, so the off topic thing is something that you said earlier in your reward. It surprised me that you would offer somebody a Snickers bar as their reward, because for anybody that, that can't see all of Brienne, she is very trim and fit and she eats extremely healthy. And she's, she has her kids eating extremely healthy. Like they're eating gluten-free and, um, you know, she's so that that just really kind of was like, wait, what? You're going to give them a Snickers bar? <laughs> so I'm glad you brought that up. I actually do um, have sneaker bars because so like I said, I'm a behavior analyst. So I like to do preference assessments on all my kids, whether you have a disability or not. <laughs> and so I just have different type of pictures. Now, you will only this sneakers bar because we do um, eat healthy um, here is strictly for this. This is the only time you'll have access to your sneaker bar. So it's just part of those, ooh, you know, today I'm craving a sneaker. I know Miss Brienne is going to work with me on my sight words and I really want it. And she said, I need to get 10 right today. It's now highly motivating because when we never get a sneaker bar with Miss Brienne during school when you're here from eight to four o'clock. 
you, you're, you're not getting a Snicker bar. Um, typically, if you get any type of candy, it is gluten-free. Um, I really love the Annie's product. Um, so you're getting gluten-free or organic Cheez-Its, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, fruit snacks. You know, you, you, you can yeah. have those things just in a more healthier format. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, and, and that it's very important to know what motivates, too. Because, you know, if you offered a kid a Snickers bar and that wasn't motivating to that particular individual, then they're not going to work that much at trying to get that because they don't care. So, yeah. So, but I just, sorry, I had to, (laughs) I don't have ADHD. I've never been diagnosed with it, but I sometimes think I have it because my mind goes, oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. Well, if there is nothing else that you want to talk about, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. Um, so we've talked about all the different ways to find you. So um, if you are looking, you know, either one of us, master IEP coaches, um, we are happy to help you. And we're happy to work with you to get the wording. Um, as Brian mentioned when she was talking about dyslexia, a lot of times it is just the way that you approach it. If you come directly and say, my child has dyslexia and they need this program, the school sort of becomes defensive and puts up a wall and doesn't want to do it. But if you break it down and say, you know, my child has these needs and, you know, what kinds of things would we work towards to help address those needs? And then if you get a list of items, you know, then you can say, you know what, all these are incorporated in this program or this program, or, you know, how can you, with what the program you have now, does it have all of these attributes that my child needs? I want to say one quick thing here. Um, And what that is was, and I have a story behind it. I actually sat in an IEP meeting and family been working with this family to get this child an IEP. We got the child an IEP, but in the area of other health impaired. Well, of course, the private eval showed that this child was dyslexic and the dad was gun ho on getting that eligibility, right? And so I explained to him, I said, you know what? According to how the rules are, they have to see a pattern to give you specific learning disability in the school setting. So you mm-hmm. have to have a clear weakness and a clear strength, right? Mm-hmm. So typically, if you're a child with dyslexia, it kind of looks like a weakness in reading, but a strength in math or a strength in maybe written expression, sometimes just the pen, right? So if they don't see that pattern or if the school, your teachers haven't took the data, which in our case, they haven't took the data, you can't get the eligibility right now. But they were like other health impaired other health impaired. So I told the family, I said, we're going to go with that. We can get what this child needs if you allow me to do my job. And a long story shorter is that he got the eligibility for other health impaired and we were actually able to get him the Wilson reading program because they seen it there. They right. seen it in the private. We got it written in that this child have dyslexia. They just couldn't put it as an eligibility. Right. So as a parent, if you, your child can qualify in more than one area, don't beat yourself up because of particular eligibility that we can get later because now we're getting them to collect the data. Okay. So that's, that's my final little nugget. Don't beat yourself up over the eligibility. If your child can qualify in more than one area. Okay. Get the area, whatever, whichever one they give you, and we can work on services and accommodations from there. All right. Yes, that is an excellent point. That is absolutely an excellent point because that is, I think everybody's goal as a parent is to get the child the help. And if we can start getting help, then we're better off than if they say, nope, we're not giving you any help at all. So you have to as a parent. I learned it as a parent. So yeah. they don't quote unquote see his autism in the school setting, but he has an IEP for other health impaired dyslexia and the autism is written in there. I didn't care long as he got what he needed because I was that parent like, no, you need this. It needs to say this. And I'm like, well, where am I going with this saying this? I'm not trying to get a particular program that says, 
or put him at a particular school that says the IEP need to have autism. That wasn't my route. So I had to, okay, let me just get my baby the help at this point and and go from there. So those are the things to be mindful of. Yep. Sometimes we can't bust through all the limit at once. We have to chunk it apart (laughs) and break through it little pieces at a time. Yep. All right. So, so again, Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. And for those watching, if you liked the video, if you have any questions, um, please make sure to give it a thumbs up or hit the like button, leave any comments that you have. Um, I've realized that the more of those sorts of things happen, the broader the people that will be able to reach out to with this video. Um, So, and I realized about halfway through this, that this was supposed to be today with Linda Um, Linda canceled on me. She had something come up today. So we have postponed Linda until next Tuesday. So I reached out to a bunch of my master IP coach friends. I said, somebody, please, who can help me tomorrow? So Brianne, thank you for jumping in at the last minute. Um, And that's another thing. We collaborate with each other. Um, We're not just there to collaborate with schools and families, but master IP coaches, we don't compete against one another. Um, which is family. <laughs> yes. Amen. Um, and it's such a great family to be a part of. So for anyone who thought you were joining in to watch Linda, I apologize. Linda will be with me next Tuesday um, at one o'clock, same place, same channel on Friday with Fran this week. Um, her one child has Down syndrome and it is Down Syndrome Awareness Month. So we're going to be talking all things Down syndrome. Um, so join me here on Friday at one o'clock for that. And I just want to thank you one last time, Brianne, and tell everybody um, you know how to find us. And we appreciate all of you so much for watching us. Everybody have a great day and continue to make the world better for everybody, one IEP at a time.